How many of you have Luke 2, 1 through 20 memorized? It's pretty impressive. You do, that's right. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this day. Grateful that you always meet us when we gather. That you are glorified by our worship. That we are drawn closer to you. Now we pray that as we hear your scripture read, as we hear the gospel proclaimed, that you'd open our mind, our ears, our eyes, and our heart, that we could receive it, that our hands and feet would get to work, and that our mouths would speak, would help us prepare the way for your coming. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So there's a reason that the Christmas pageants are not based on John's gospel. Ben, do you wanna go ahead and come up um, I want to try something. If we had a pageant today using only John's gospel, it would just be a single person, child or 17-year-old high school senior wearing just whatever he woke up and put on, standing in front of a black curtain saying this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you. Good night. (laughs) All I'm saying is she had it memorized. So I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying. In his defense, I didn't ask him to do this until late last night, so it's all good. But so that's the Christmas story in its entirety according to the Gospel of John. Okay, I mean, it's good, but could you imagine gathering some parents for an evening performance of the Christmas pageant and you got their kids all worked up and they come for a one-minute play where one kid speaks? It's missing everything, Right? It's missing all the things that we identify with the season. I mean, there's no family on a journey to Bethlehem. There's none of the women that are in our painting. There's no shepherds, no songs sung by angels in the field, no villain innkeeper, no wise men from the east who have their gifts for the sweet baby in the manger. I mean, John's Christmas story looks absolutely nothing like the willow tree nativity scene in my living room right now. But it's still the Christmas story. You see, Christmas in the Gospel of John, it tells the same story as the one we find in Matthew and in Luke. It is the same story, but it's from a very different perspective. See, the Gospel of John is telling the story of the eternal Christ, the truth that Jesus was present with the Father and the Spirit at the moment of creation. John says that Jesus was the word that God spoke when he said, let there be, let there be light. Let there be ground, let there be sky. You see, Christmas in the Gospel of John is all about the moment when the internal Jesus was born into time and space. God came to be here with us. But it's also about a man named John. 
who came to prepare the way. Now, this is a little confusing. This is a different John, not the author of the Gospel of John. Names in the Bible can be so confusing. They were not creative. They just kept using the same names over and over. There's a million Marys, a million Johns, a million Jameses. This John that we're speaking about today is the wild man from the wilderness, the one who ate locusts and honey. He wore clothes of camel. He had a leather belt. We know him as John the Baptist, right? But in Luke's gospel, we actually first meet him when he jumps in his mother's belly, jumps for joy when Mary walks into the room. The gospel according to John, the good news told to us by this disciple of Jesus who will come later, it doesn't introduce him to us as John the Baptist. Here he's John the witness. He's the one sent by God to bear witness to a moment in time and space when the word became flesh. So all of that imagery might make for a really strange and very short Christmas pageant, but it is still the Christmas story. And it reminds us that the first witness to Jesus arrived before Jesus did. And that he didn't come to make sure everything was decorated or to prepare a meal for the celebration. He came to prepare the way, to point to the truth, to tell everyone, as one author says it, that the darkest forces in this world, they are not as powerful as they appear. And that's really good news. There's a painting that hung over the desk of a man named Karl Barth. He was a German theologian. And from 1921 until his death in December of 1968, this painting hung over its desk. And I've shown it to you before because it hangs over my desk too. This is John the witness. The word of God in his left hand, the lamb of God at his feet, pointing to the word made flesh, the light of the world on his right. Now, one of the things that's so powerful about John's witness is not because of who he claimed he was, but because he clearly explained who he was not. John chapter one, after the section that Ben read, it goes on to say this in verse 19, it says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. John was a witness to Jesus with his voice, later with his baptisms, with his finger pointing to Christ. Even in the womb, John is pointing to Jesus, jumping for joy when Mary walks into the room. But his most important witness, I think, was his humility. Well, John was weird. He was weird, but he was really charismatic. And he gathered a lot of people to his cause. He could have very easily started his own movement in his own name. But he says, it doesn't matter who I am. What matters is who I am not. All that matters is who Jesus is. John confessed who he is not so that he could better proclaim the one who is. That's humility. Guess where he got it from? It runs in the family. I want you to listen to this from Philippians chapter two. Uh, this is one of the most famous songs to come out of the church in the first century. Uh, it's known as the Christ hymn. Uh, the author Paul, he's telling his people, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. This is his letter to a church. He's saying, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. And then he goes on to tell them why. And this comes from Philippians 2. If you don't have it open, you can go read it later. 
He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. But rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? That's a good hymn. You see, John the Witness is actually not the point of today. John the Witness is just the entry point. (laughs) He prepares the way. He is a humble witness to the humility of Jesus himself. And we know the humility of Jesus from scripture, of course, but we also are witness to the humility of Jesus every time we set up those nativity scenes in our living room at Christmas. I mean, they're beautiful and they're sweet, but if we let them, those little nativity scenes, wherever they came from, they invite us to ask a really challenging question. If I were the king of all creation, what kind of appearance would I make when I decided to step into it? When the creator of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, when he entered into history, how did he do it? So I wanna do something. I hope this isn't silly or cheesy. Um, We look at these nativity scenes, but I wonder, uh, what if we didn't just look at it? What if we got in one? <laughs> so you thought this was for the kids when they sang it. It wasn't. It, this is for me. <laughs> um, I want to try to imagine exactly what it was like. If I'm going to bear witness to the humility of Christ, I need to take really seriously what that looked like on the day he came into the world. So I want to ask some questions. Um, and these are rhetorical, but... Bill Ford's not here, so I didn't need to say that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you see? What do you see at Christmas time each year? You have the colors of Christmas. You have red, white, and green are everywhere, right? We have those light shows in our front yard. Anybody in here have one of those light shows that's like synced to music and keeps your neighbors up all night? Or now you're not going to admit it if you do, right? But... Um, <laughs> But we have these extravagant light shows that are just awesome. Uh, we have red paper cups that come from the global coffee shop. Apparently people wait in line to get them when they first come out. Uh, we have ugly sweaters. We have elves on shelves. We see gifts under the tree, assuming the report from the elf was good. We see people scrambling around the stores at the last minute, sometimes on Christmas Eve, just to see what's left. This year we might see people waiting in the front yard for Amazon or UPS to arrive. We also see the reality of people who are lonely um, and in need this time of year. And we see that in a lot of different ways. These are, these are just some of the things that we see at Christmas. So I wonder, just for you, rhetorical for a moment, what does Christmas look like for you? Now, what do we see in the manger? There's animals. And we know that because in the manger was a feeding trough that was just the right size for a baby who was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Thankfully, we didn't see CPS 
coming to <laughs> do something about that. Now the shepherd and the wise men, they saw angels, uh, but what did they see next? They saw an overwhelmed but committed husband standing next to a sweet wife as she's suffering in pain, wiping the sweat off her forehead. This awkward but beautiful fight to bring a child into the world, those were the sights of Christmas in the manger. At Christmas, what do we hear? <laughs> when we start decorating at our house, um, we just fire up the Christmas playlist that we've had for a long time. Um, and without fail, a song from the 1984 album, Once Upon a Christmas by Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers starts to play. And I'm telling y'all, that's the moment that Christmas begins for me. <laughs> you can judge me all you want, we all have our weird traditions. <laughs> but that is a great memory from my childhood. As soon as my mom would fire up that album, we'd start to decorate and it would begin to feel like Christmas in our home. And as silly as mine starts, the sound of Christmas that pulls everything together for me is the sound of this congregation singing Silent Night on Christmas Eve. So what does Christmas sound like for you? And what did it sound like in the manger? The shepherds, the wise men, they heard angels, uh, but the night that Jesus was born uh, was filled with chaos and noise. The noise of animals, the screams of labor pain and childbirth. I imagine that there was a moment, like a holy moment of silence when Mary first held that baby in her arms. But that moment was absolutely, without a doubt, interrupted by what? Go ahead, not rhetorical. That baby crying <laughs> all night long, night after night the sound of sleeplessness for Mary and Joseph. So some of the sounds of Christmas in the manger. Now, what do you smell at Christmas? Uh, maybe it's peppermint mocha, cookies, fire in the fireplace. Uh, in our house, it's this subtle mix of pine, a little cinnamon, and then whatever scent Joanna Gaines has chosen for the season. <laughs> when the family gets together, it's either fried turkey or fajitas along with the smell of my brother-in-law's, brothers-in-law. Now, there can be the overwhelming smell of cologne at the department stores as we're shopping. Or maybe it's that familiar smell of the Houston Food Bank or the Star of Hope or any of the places that we go and serve those who are in need. What are the smell of Christmas for you? What are the smells of Christmas for you? And what do we smell in the manger? <laughs> That's a fun one, right? <laughs> I mean, okay, uh, what do you think they smelled, honestly? Like, the shepherds were likely teenagers. Uh, but do you think that they went home and took a quick shower and then sprayed themselves with way too much Axe body spray before they went to see the baby? They stunk. Bad. And maybe the wise men had some cologne along with them, but they had just gotten off a really long road trip. How do you smell after a really long road trip? There's the smell of hay and straw. I totally don't know the difference between the two. Somebody after the last service tried to explain it to me and I still have no idea. There's the smell of animals. Our little nativity scene at home has a donkey and some sheep. And I have no idea what animals were there, but I know there were animals there and what smell comes along with animals. <laughs> 
But there was also the smell of a baby. And I mean, granted, those things can make some pretty awful smells every once in a while. But most of us, something happens to us when we smell a baby. Those are some of the smells of Christmas. What does Christmas feel like? For us, it can be both cold and warm. One of my favorite things to do uh, with my daughter, Anna, is uh, to go for breakfast early before school, on the way to school, um, especially when it's like a cold December morning. Go to La Madeline. If we get there early enough, we can sit in front of the fireplace and we can eat our American breakfast at the French bakery. (laughs) But at Christmas, we feel the paper covering the gifts. We feel the texture of ribbons and bows the sap from the pine tree in the living room. Some feel other things like the experience of loneliness and sorrow. So what does Christmas feel like for you? What did it feel like in the manger? Of course, they felt the straw and the hay. They felt the hard, rocky ground, the dirt that covered that ground, the discomfort of giving birth in such a dirty place. They felt the pressure of giving birth, and I mean like literally the physical pressure and pain of childbirth, but also along with the pressure that Mary and Joseph must have felt leading up to and definitely afterwards of the fact that they had to care for and provide for the Son of God. (laughs) It's a lot of pressure. I mean, these are the sights and the sounds and the smells of Christmas, the feels of Christmas. And if you were the king of the universe, I wonder, is this how you would make your entrance? As much as we're able, we would never make this kind of an entrance anywhere. I mean, if we're able, we clean ourselves up, we make ourselves presentable no matter what we do. Sometimes it's just a sign of respect. And that's fine. It's good. It's okay to come to worship showered and fresh. It's okay. I actually recommend it. It's not a bad idea. And it's okay to come wearing your nicest As a sign of respect for God and for others, no problem, all good. But y'all, we know, especially in light of this manger, we know that none of that is required. We know that we are not required to make ourselves clean and presentable before we are accepted and loved by God. That we are invited to come to the smelly and noisy manger scene, carrying with us all the chaos and the mess of our lives. And the incredible thing about the gospel is that we're then invited to leave that chaos and mess at the foot of the cross, to trust it with Jesus, that through the power of the Spirit, he can make us clean in ways that actually matter to God. And that's good news. If you were the king of the universe, is this how you'd make your entrance? Is that how you would receive people when they come into your presence? So today we heard about a humble witness uh, and he was pointing to a humble Christ. So as always, we ask, uh, so what? And listen, I wanna be really clear. I'm not being negative about your home nativity scenes, about our beautiful decorations here. I'm not being negative about any of it, not being extreme. This is all beautiful. Every Advent, when we come in on that first Sunday of Advent and this place looks the way this place does, I truly get in the mood to worship and celebrate what God has done. But as we celebrate we should ask, does our celebration look like a people who are preparing the way for Christ, the humble servant? Or if somebody who has no idea what we're doing 
might it look to them like we are preparing the way for some self-important king? It's good to ask, how are the sights and the sounds and the smells and the feels of our preparation, how are they a witness to the humble servant that we gather together to worship? You see, John prepared the way, and he did it in humility. And he did it confessing that he's not the Messiah, so he could clearly point to the one who is. So how do we follow his model? How do we do that today? How do we bear Christ in the world with the humility of Christ in us? John did it by holding tight to the word of God in one hand and pointing to the crucified and resurrected Christ with the other. It's a really good image. So practically, the way this will play out in each of our lives is probably gonna be a little different. Every one of us is equipped and gifted in different ways. So the way we prepare the way and point to the Christ is probably gonna be unique to us. So I'm not sure exactly how this sits with you. I don't know exactly how you are to bear Christ into the world with humility. But I do know that John used his voice. That is one way he pointed to Christ. So maybe today, one thing we can do is we begin to think about how we can train our voices to do the same. And one way we can train our voice, maybe the right place to start, is by learning when and when not to use it. I think especially at this time of year, when we have the opportunity to tell the world the most beautiful story in the universe, the reason for our hope, for some reason, especially at this time of year, Christians start getting nervous. And we tend to get really sensitive about the way the world around us is celebrating. We get really concerned about the language they use. And look, absolutely, we need to keep Christ in Christmas. Absolutely. But why would I expect somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus to do the same thing? I will never understand why Christians expect non-Christians to live as if they are Christians. They're not. Why would we expect people who don't give the Bible authority over their lives, why do we expect them to live by its teachings? And who do we think that we are to judge them if they don't? Remember, we've said this before, but who are we? We are just them before somebody told us the good news. So maybe rather than judging and condemning when someone says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, maybe we could figure out a way to point to Christ by looking for a way to invite them into the family instead. Start with invitation rather than judgment and condemnation. Now, John the witness, he used his voice to judge and condemn. He absolutely did. He was like a firebrand. He didn't hold back. But who was that judgment and condemnation reserved for? If you know the story, you know. It was reserved for the religious people of his day. The religious people who were missing the point. But to an unbelieving world, he pointed to Jesus so that they might come to believe. So we can train our voices by learning when and when not to speak. Another way to train our voice is to start with our ears. <laughs> Every day there are different voices that are finding their ways into our ears, into our minds, into our hearts. All kinds of voices. Whatever news feed or paper we read or follow, the channels that we watch, the podcasts, the YouTubers that we follow. I mean, there are so many different voices and each of them is a threat to drown out the voice of Christ. We could take this season 
and we could silence those voices for a bit. And we could fill our minds and our hearts with the words of our humble Christ by just reading through one of the Gospels. They're not that long, you could read through all of them. Just gather together in worship, to study together, to serve together, to build real community together, to drown out the voices outside and turn to the only voice that really matters. And find ways to do that together. There's a version Bible app online that you can download today that has a million reading plans you can choose from. Bill Ford has read them all. <laughs> if you want some suggestions, grab a couple people, read the Bible together. Let other voices infiltrate you this season rather than the voices that we hear all year long that are trying to drown them out. We can also train our ears by just listening to the needs of others. Concerning ourselves more and more with others, learning to see the best in others, and in doing so, maybe becoming less and less concerned with what they think about us. We can learn to worry more about the real needs of others more than we worry about the things that we want and desire. I think all of this, this is the model of Christ. I think this is what C.S. Lewis said. It's what he had in mind when he famously said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. It's really good. (laughs) It sounds a lot like this. In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This is humility in action. This is one of the best and most accurate ways that we can recreate what happens here. Each and every day in the world, this is the way of Jesus. And the good news of Christmas is that because of Jesus, this kind of humility is possible, even for somebody as prideful as me. This is the way of the disciple who's preparing the way for the coming of our humble Christ. And glory to God in the highest. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you call us together. And that as we gather together, we are reminded of some alert and alarm. (laughs) Sorry, my phone was calling 911 in the middle of my prayer. (laughs) Everything's okay. Father, we are grateful that you give us such a humble example of what it means to trust and follow you. We pray that we would take time this season not to reject the things that are familiar and comforting to us, but that we would just remember that they are not the point. To remember what happened that night in the manger and to remember that that story leads us to the cross. So guide us this season. Remind us of what truly matters and teach us how to prepare the way and point to Christ each and every day, everywhere we go, with the humility of Jesus himself. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.